Hello, and welcome to Girls Gone Canon, A Song of Ice and Fire, Episode 71, Jon Snow, A Dance with Dragons, Chapter 5. I am one of your hosts, Chloe. You know me as Liza Narber on Twitter, Tumblr, and LizaNarberGold.com. And I am another one of your hosts, Eliana. You might know me as Gloss Table Girl on Reddit or on the Maester Monthly Podcast. Maybe you know me as Arithmetric over on Twitter. I think, most iconically speaking, you know her as one of your other hosts. <laughs> Someone said today um, and told us one of their, yeah, 50% of my hosts. My, I love the ownership. We are your we hosts, are. you guys. Your hosts. Oh, oh like parasites. Whoa. Be our guests. You guys are our guests. Uh. Jon Snow. Oh my god, it's been two weeks. We're sorry, we're back, we're back, we're back. It's been a fortnight. There's been so much afoot with his dark materials that we had to cheat on you guys. We had to cheat on you guys, and we had to cheat on Jon. The time has come um, to choose a side and we chose his dark materials in this moment. We did. No, no, we're just really relevant as far as podcasting goes, and Jon's gonna be here. He's still here. In fact, we're gonna learn. He's not dead yet. Yes, he yet. God damn it. Yeah, I mean he's still here and he's still making choosing his sides. Well, right now he's chose chosen ones, but he's still talking about how the choosing has always been hard. It's a theme of pretty much every one of these John chapters, but it's a theme for me every lunchtime. What do I want for lunch? I know. My colleague made fun of me. She was like uh, talking about how I don't know, it's wild in there. She heard one of my thought <laughs> processes once because I shared it once aloud, and apparently other people don't think like that in a in a way that is not good for me. Oh, I uh, we have a Wawa near us, and that is that's the life at my work. Wawa's pretty cool. Yeah, I get a lot of salads there. I've not tried salads. their salad yet. I only you know keep it classic. Get the sandwiches. What about what about salt beef? I could do some salt beef. Yeah, salt beef. I do like salt salted beef. I like jerky. Yeah, I love jerky. I could maybe not. I guess as like if that was all True. I had, but and I if could it eat were it. Very tough. I could eat it. You know, maybe not. But like the jerky that I can purchase at theoretically maybe Wawa, good. It is. A couple other tender things have hit our radar. We have a few emails and tweets of note for you guys. We had an email from our really good friend, John, the Prince of Sunsphere. We did. John says, Chloe and Eliana, that's us. You had me when you quoted Hilary Duff's Come Clean. Wow, that's a throwback. It's like one of our first episodes. And sold me with Hoku's Another Dumb Blonde. I am so hyped for his dark materials on HBO and can't wait to hear your thoughts. I am also a big fan of Anne Rice. Another listener mentioned the witches and cannibalism. Hulu is is adapting the Vampire Chronicles and may be my next event TV show. I included this, even though it was mostly his Dark Materials themed, besides our uh, quoted songs. <laughs> because of the cannibalism theme, uh, we're seeing a lot of hunger in this chapter coming forward, right? Rations, uh, barely any food to feed people. What are they going to do? What will our protagonists do? We do not know. La la la. It's a reread. We do know. But it's going to be interesting seeing some of the cannibalism to come, especially... As Stannis goes along, uh, his his camp, of course, eating some people. A little messed up. Um, 
I, I think it's a great theme that comes across in all of these stories, not just an apocalyptic kind of thing, something like The Walking Dead, you'd imagine mm-hmm. that would come up, and it does come up in The Walking Dead in the comics and in the show. But for this, I mean, even in fantasy, it comes up. Cannibalism is something that in horrible horrible conditions has been something that people have rationalized or even in again not horrible conditions there are cultures and circumstances where i I get it i think it sounds it's i understand the logic behind it i don't agree um necessarily but i i can see why like that's something that's very meaningful to them as bringing someone into you and being part of you it's interesting that it's i don't know if there's a connection between the cannibalism and vampirism, but obviously that makes yeah. sense. And my understanding is, so not necessarily in regards to Anne Rice, whose works I will admit I'm not very familiar with, but there was a big upswell of literature that revolved around vampires during the Victorian era. In my understanding from people who who study like these kinds of trends, etc., some of them have done analysis that ties these these themes of vampires and then uh to having to do with like sexuality and and how that comes through etc and i mean vampires have always been really associated with that so i think that idea of consumption and and lust together with cannibalism is something interesting and we've touched on it a little bit in in a song of ice and fire but um i'd I'd love to dig into that more deeply as we see more in the series yeah it makes me think about that whole uh weird love triangle tryst thing of stannis melisandre and salise right like salise has embraced relore and that's who she embraces and stannis embraces melisandre and melisandre embraces relore and just you know all this fucking and sacrificing and what's to come what's to come, to come. Yeah. <laughs> so we we got another email. Uh, actually, this isn't an email that we got. We got a Patreon message from our friend Shadow Fox on Patreon, who said, I was hoping you might talk about what houses would fall, endure, and rise by the end of the books. We all know that from the hit HBO series the books were based on, <laughs> houses Bolton and Frey are gone. Casterly Rock is given away to create House Blackwater, and the Starks run the whole bloody continent. However, in the books, what could happen? Will all the phrase be dead? If Tyrion gets Casterly, how will the Lannisport Lannisters react? Secondary houses rising to power like Ironwoods or Aarons from Goldtown. Alice Karstark marries a Then Is that house then now? Will House Seaworth rule the Narrow Sea? Will House Targaryen go extinct after the second Dance of the Dragons? Or will they carve out a bit of the Seven Kingdoms for themselves? And don't get me started on Greyjoys. Oh, that was clever about the carving out a bit of the Seven Kingdoms for themselves, asked John. Hmm. We all know the ending won't have the same rosy, Disney, happy TV show ending. Is that what we thought that the ending was? I don't know. I don't think it was very rosy. I think it was still yeah. sad. That's debatable. Uh, also, P.S. When will Howland Reed show up? Mm. That was for me. Thank you. That was the same person that banned me from talking about Howland Reed <laughs> in our Patreon episode a couple months ago. Right. About uh, forgotten characters in The Wind's Winter, because Howlin' Reed is not forgotten, obviously. And I think that this question comes a little bit on the heels of, actually, Shadow Fox was the same one to suggest that idea of talking about those forgotten characters in Wind. So, mm-hmm. always, always fun thought exercises. Yeah, I've got some thoughts. I've always thought we'd see, a, at least as far as the big houses, I mean, 
there's so many houses that are set to go extinct, right? Um, the Tyrells have a very high chance of extinction. Mm-hmm. I- unless Willis survives, he might. I think Willis could. I don't think Garland will. He'll go out in a blaze of glory defending the Reach. Um, but Willis is kind of their survivor, right? Uh, the the girls in King's Landing are doomed. Yeah, I don't see... They've got a couple relatives, but... I could doomed. definitely see one of the other houses around the Tyrells or one of the other houses mm-hmm. that claim to be descendants of Garth Greenhand, which is like, I don't know, fucking all of them in the Reach taking yeah. over because I, it's been such a wide spot and they talk about a lot how these houses are like all kind of gunning for house tyrell's position i don't think it's going to be the high towers no, no me either they have their place and they can yeah, stay there I, I don't think yeah i don't think we are going to see the tyrells around after growing strong till they're not the rose will be plucked if you will yeah, and they're not the only one, right? Uh, even the sun burns too hot. The Martells. Sorella could be the only survivor if this story ends. I mean, even the little ones. Dorn is kind of fucked. Yeah. I think that a lot of the trueborn Martells aren't going to survive. And I think the unfortunate fact is like a lot of the children, like you said, probably won't either. Plop it on the sidewalk, just bloop. Yeah. Rotten, rotten juice everywhere. I don't know what BC. I think Sorella's <sighs> an interesting idea. Seeing one of the Oberyn's daughters inherit, I think, could be cool. But I think Sorella's kind of the only viable option. There's Elia Sand. That'd be funny. Yeah. I, I think she's gonna you do die. Have a, a strong <laughs> affinity for. Her. Yeah, she's gonna but... die. You could have died, died, died. Oh, sorry. Spoilers. Watch our Ariane or listen to our Ariane Martell Patreon episode. <laughs> Throwback. And along with that, um, check out Michael Clarfeld, a.k.a. Claradox, and his maps. Because the reason why we're saying that I have an affinity for Elia Sand is I was the model. (laughs) Um, I wear more clothes than that. (laughs) Sometimes you do wear crop tops. I've seen it in the (laughs) flash. You don't have (laughs) underboob. That's true. There's no underboob. You know, something Shadow Fox said was about Alice, right? Alice Mm. Karstark, who we're going to see this in a few chapters. We're going to talk about it at length there but uh i think alice technically that would be a matrilineal marriage with sigorn right alice uh to keep her lands would have to matrilineally marry someone sigorn is obviously not worried about a westerosi title so much and yes he'll probably be happy to be a lord of something but i don't think that he has a problem with you know keeping his identity while being married to her they formed a whole new house right and that's special that they created something new so now the Karstarks don't get that land it's Alice's brand of Karstarks. It's the molded uh, sunburst of Karstark and the bronze of Then. I think that's really special. It's something new, something that can't be broken by the traditional kind of claim to their lands. I agree with everything that you've said just now regarding Sigorn. I don't know if they're going to be called the House Then or not. I think it's an interesting idea, and we see them establishing and keeping their culture here, right? They, they're very intent on keeping that autonomy in this chapter. And... It's kind of like also you're bringing this wildling bit into the northern culture as an official part of the culture. That's really cool. Yeah, and I think that's why I really like this idea of whether it's called House Then or still House Karstark, I like the idea of them continuing, right? Because it's a testament to me to the idea that different cultures can all intermarry and learn to live together. And I think that's absolutely going to be necessary in this new Westeros um whatever it is and 
the broken wheel. Leave me alone. <laughs> uh, and and I think I I like that idea. What about Lannisters? What do you think? For the Lannisters that we have of Casterly Rock, and even with House Targaryen, I get such a follow the House of Usher vibe from both of them. Like even from the beginning regarding the Lannisters, I I kind of felt that way. But I also will say that I am partial to the idea of like Lannisport Lannisters maybe like inheriting or taking over. I don't know, same as with the Gulltown Arryns. Um, I'd really like to see Lancel survive. I know he doesn't in the show, but they also play Lancel very differently, I think. In the show, like, they play him as more of, like, he becomes this extremist zealot, as opposed to, I think you're supposed to see Lancel as, in many ways, paralleling Aaron Greyjoy. Like, Lancel has been deeply traumatized. And he's another exploration of that broken man idea, as opposed to how they played him in the show. And I think it'd be interesting to see something. It might not be his line, right? It could be Gatehouse Amy pulling in someone else. Yeah. Like, I think that would be that would be fun. Yeah, and that's the thing. If Lancel does survive, I mean, the show obviously painted him a little different, but he you don't just run in with Cersei Lannister. And live, you know, like most people don't live from their run-ins with Cersei Lannister. She has a track record. So if he survives, that would be great. It would be great to have someone survive yeah, her. Yeah, I agree. Most people don't. Yeah. So there's that. Um, coming back briefly to House Targaryen. Again, kind of the idea of like follow the House of Usher. If the Red Keep does collapse, I think, you know, that that's in many ways a symbol of their family and their yeah. reign. And also I got kind of House not house. I got kind of like Buendia family vibes from them from 100 Years of oh. Solitude. I never heard George talk about Gabriel Garcia Marquez, but this idea of someone having a vision and build it, trying to build like a, a city or whatever based on that. And there's so much like, I'm going to end up spoiling 100 Years of Solitude, but this is a novel that's been out for a while and I think it's fine. A, a lot of the characters, they keep repeating the same names it gets very confusing, same mm. as within House Targaryen. And also, at the end, an aunt and her nephew unknowingly end up in an incestuous relationship. And everything falls apart oh. after that. Well, and that is like, look at Oedipus. We talked yeah. about this in his Dark Materials a little bit, even. Uh, but And we've talked about it before with Game of Thrones, obviously, and with The Song of Ice and Fire, but... Oedipus, you know, it all falls apart. Um, incest isn't sustainable, as we've learned. Yeah, it, it was something that was hanging over, like, House... I keep calling them House Buendia. All right. But <laughs> anyways, so it hanging over them, and, like, the mother of the family was, like, afraid that it was going to happen to them. I actually really like this Marquez story. I didn't love... I also like Love in the Time of Chronicle... I also like Love in the Time of Cholera. I hated the first Marquez I ever read, but I love 100 Years of Solitude, one of my favorite books. Well, now that I know what happens, I don't oh my have God. to read it, so thanks, Eliana. <laughs> Are you serious? <laughs> you know, I do want to harken back to something that we actually said in our review of The Bells from the critically acclaimed season eight of the HBO hit experience, <laughs> experience. Game of Thrones, which these books, yeah, it's not TV, it's HBO, Eliana. Um, <laughs> uh, that these books are based on, though I I guess 
I said, I was looking at our notes for some reason, but it reminds me of Thor Ragnarok, hmm. right? Where Hela says, where do you think all the gold came from? Yeah. That's the Targaryens right there in a nutshell. So it's very Shakespearean, mm-hmm. as I've heard someone write about before with the land or with the Targaryen faction with Daenerys's claim. Yeah, there was this author, this writer. She put out this essay. It was got like sixteen thousand, eighteen thousand words, you know, um, about Daenerys Targaryen as a tragic Shakespearean character. No, Have you ever heard of her? Uh, the essay sounds interesting. So. I do want to argue that I think that Robert Aaron will survive, yep. and I will die on that hill. I definitely did not think that until the show. And, you know, granted, now we know that they took way more artistic liberties. There's obviously some things that are definitely going to happen from the show that are going to happen in the books, right? But yeah, I Robert Aaron surviving in and of itself feels like a twist to me, and I kind of like that. I feel like because Sansa is a Ned analog, yeah. right, for how she makes her decisions, um, how she trusts or does not trust the trauma she's experienced from losing loved ones, just kind of the Ned part of her. And if Robert Aaron dies, like I think what's going to happen is she'll see the truth soon mm-hmm. enough to be able to stop things from happening. Uh, it'll be close, you know, like obviously it's already close to him dying, but I don't think he'll die. I think that that would go against that save the children vibe. Robert Aaron isn't great, as we see at the beginning of the books, but I like the idea that if he survives, we can see him grow, right? He is starting to be a little bit better, and he's like a child, all right? And I think that the idea that people can grow and change is, for better or for worse, Mm -hmm. I think that's something that we can see in Robert Aaron, hopefully. Controversial, uh... I think the Tullys survive, obviously, through Edmure and Roslyn. I think that the Tullys will probably side with the North. I think it's going to split Riverlands, North, Vale is how that's going to split. I really do. I don't think it's going to be just the North. I think it's oh. going to be North, Riverlands, and Vale that follow yeah. them. Um, I think that the South will remain the South with the Crownlands down. Dorne might section themselves off even. Mm-hmm. Iron Islands, I think they might even do their own thing. I don't think they might they might not be a part of the fray. Um, unless Gendry gets legitimized, I think the Baratheons are dead. I think Gendry could get legitimized. I think that could be a thing that passes in, in the show and in the books. I think it could still be Edric's storm. It could be interesting. I think Edric's doomed because I think he's getting collected by Varys. Yeah. You know? But I also think that like Gendry likes making likes making things. And not yeah. ruling things. No, true. And I would like a future for him in which he gets to be a blacksmith. Okay. Well, we can't always get what we want, but if we try sometimes, we might find that you get what you need. It's true. I mean, he could end up just like his father, right? Being like, I wanted to be a blacksmith, but now I'm a lord. This sucks. I mean, it's possible. That would make me sad. Uh, I mean, I think it's likely that Arya and him do not end up together, but might have a romantic history together in the end. Everything's a history once it's over. I think something They're will happen. again. And, and it has to because George has kind of hinted at it. Mm-hmm. And Balticon. Exactly. He's talked about that. And he's talked about Arya flowering into a woman. Um, I mean, she was supposed to be. I saw what I said. She was supposed but... to be, like, much older. I, yeah. And I mean, like, at that age... You know, if she was going to be 16 or 17, I don't know that I'd call it flowering into a woman, 
but people start right. having like experiences they start exploring and i think that's part of growing up it's important to show especially for aria a character that you know is coming into her femininity she's not someone that it came to easily until now right like it was always sans that had it easy at this and that and the other thing and now she's learning the duality of i can be these things i can be death i can also be beauty i can be all these things she's learning it right now as we know from her preview chapter oh my god okay so the other question that shadow fox asked was howlin reed when are we gonna see him you know my take i'll repeat it now that we'll see him in a dream of spring it will be at the very end george will play his cards in the very last book you will not meet howlin reed before that i like the idea of seeing house reed though come out against house Frey. i will say that i think there's something fun about it Mm -hmm. but of course you know everything that we think we're gonna get doesn't always happen so we don't get the gods aren't good damn all right i and on that note let's talk about toronto (laughs) toronto's actually fun it's just really fucking cold and because of that we got an email from mackenzie saying as your local toronto ggc listener i got excited to hear eliana talk about us and our path in all caps system we do indeed have an underground tunnel system that connects a lot of the downtown core the tunnels are lined with shops and restaurants it's basically moles town down there love your podcast ashara forever <laughs> that was for you what, did, what was ashara that? forever did she say oh is that the officially came <laughs> ship of howlin and ashara interesting interesting howlin, yeah mackenzie again. uh yeah. you're the best yeah, yeah. So just wanted to tie it in with Howland there. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, Mackenzie, rock and roll. I agree. And I want to go see Molestown. That's yeah. awesome. We're going to talk about Molestown today some more. Uh, so I'm glad that we brought this up. I want to go to like some restaurants, some shops. I think it's probably a lot cleaner in these tunnels. Probably. Toronto's pretty cool. And I didn't, I didn't get to see those, but I would like to. And I mean, they've got They've got some interesting stores there. There's a cool-ass comic book shop. I want to say it's called Sonic Boom, if I'm not mistaken, that I went to. I think that I'd remember. And they have, like, cool record stores. The catch is it's very cold, and that's why they have underground tunnels. Hey, I'm down with the cold. I don't have your issues. You're from the north. You know, (laughs) these are... They're the same as you, Chloe. They're just from north of the wall. (laughs) Well, thank you so much, Mackenzie, and thank you so much to everyone else, uh, Shadow Fox, and of course, John, Prince of Sunsphere, for sending us a note, an email, a tweet. You guys, you can send us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. If you have thoughts about the episodes, feel free to send us a tweet at girlsgonecanon on Twitter. That is C-A-N-O-N. We'll look up canon, too, with two N's if we really have to, but try that. And then also... Feel free to leave us an iTunes review. You can log on to iTunes or Podbean and leave us a review. Leave us a comment and a rating saying if you liked it, hated it, whatever. We'll blast you either way. And you can also leave us Podbean comments. That always is funny. Yeah, we do love them. We do. Well, without further ado, we will skip into our lightning round. Wow, it's been a while to say those words. We we don't have them in our His Dark Materials series. No, that is something I do miss, but I do love doing a nice lightning yeah. round. So, first lightning round to get into is Tyrion Five. After revealing his identity to the Shy Maid's inhabitants, Tyrion confirms Griff and his son's identity just before tumbling into the waters of the sorrows with the Stone Men's attack. Davos Three. 
Davos treats with the prideful House Manderly in what feels like a fool's court of phrase. Rejection stings, but while a Manderly speech of loyalty to House Stark stings more for the phrase. Davos goes to jail and does not pass go. Reek too. Reek, reek. It rhymes yeah. with the ghosts of a boy named Theon's old life coming home. But who is the ghost? It's Jane. Damn. That's a downer. I did all right. You know, I was feeling rusty. I'm glad it, it came, came out It came out well. really well. Just needed to get back on that horse, Chloe. Oh my god. I wish you would get back on that horse, my friend. Is that uh, what John sings to Bowen? Who knows? John 5. Life has gone back to dormancy at Castle Black, although the wildlings are not conforming to Stannis' religion very smoothly. And that's not the only thing not going smoothly. Rations are the next. John goes against the wishes of Marsh and brings rations to the free folk, although small, and a riot breaks out. John extends an ultimatum. Join us or die against the others. Not, not by me. Not by, like, burning. Yeah. Like Stannis would say. <laughs> John wakes up amid piles of books. He spent half the night trying to search in horrible lighting. It turns out that Sam was right. The books need to be sorted. Too bad there are no literate stewards here, though. Yeah, and unfortunately, none of the new recruits from this chapter are likely to be. But hey, you know what? Sam was right, as he usually is. And sometimes doing due diligence beforehand can make it faster for things later down the line. John. John was like, books are done. I'm feeling ashamed. Why? I'm bad at that, too. Like, I understand. You have to organize. You need things to be organized. It's just like, ugh, I'm like a messy organized person. You're very organized. Okay. I don't know what the fuck you're saying. Maybe. So, <laughs> John finally is like, fuck it. I gotta wait till Sam gets back. I can't figure this shit out. And then he worries about Sam and Eamon and if they ever will come back. There was news of a wreckage in Skagos from Cotter Pike. And last night's supper was also awful. That is not helping the mood. The stew is literally veggies now, and there's no mutton. Yeah, it's mostly gross because John didn't end up eating it, and it's been sitting out all night. And we're starting to see in this, like, that meat scarcity, because the joke used to be that the three meat stew was mutton, 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 uh, mutton, mutton, and mutton. And I've heard that mutton actually isn't great. Lamb is good. Goat is good. Apparently mutton's not great. And... Now, again, yeah, it's three different kinds of vegetables, and this is actually going to carry out this idea for the rest of the chapter, uh, because that concern about resources and administration, again, is something that George is very interested in exploring. Then we have this quote. Bowen Marsh had urged him to move into the old bear's former chambers in the King's Tower after Stannis vacated them, but John had declined. Moving into the King's Chambers could too easily be taken to mean he did not expect the King to return. I mean, I don't know what the right answer is here, what the right move is, because on one hand, moving into the King's Tower could kind of be seen as presumptuous, right? For a boy that the Watch already fears is overstepping his bounds in terms of what he's making them do. Granted, I guess Mormont had to do it because they're like, I don't know, these are the next best quarters. But on the other hand, like, the idea that he's not moving there because it could be offensive to Stannis, and like that expectation that Stannis is going to return makes John seem really partial to Stannis again, which is like not great in terms of optics for him so 
and this is kind of silly, but it reminds me of the show mm. when in Game of Thrones they had the Sansa and Jon squabble about the Lord's chambers and who should be sleeping in them because where you sleep is a very political move when you have power, right? If you're sleeping in the king's chambers, you think you're the king of the place. You think you're in charge. Um, with the show, Sansa said, oh, no, you should have them. You fought for all this. And Jon says, no, like, your family would want you to have them, Sansa. You should have these chambers. You're the Lady of Winterfell. I don't want this responsibility. But it also reminds me of, and this just came to mind, the language reminds me of Ned and King's Landing. Especially just even cutting that sentence off at Bowen Marsh had urged him to move. Because this is a political move, right? Bowen Marsh says, you need to take those chambers back. And Bowen Marsh has been kind of saying to him, hey, these are the problems the men are having with your choices. This is what would probably make them feel yeah. better if you did this instead. It reminds me of Ned being urged by Renly or Littlefinger politically what to do in King's Landing. Yeah, I do think that Bowen is trying to urge John, maybe for John's sake here a little and he, and on the other hand it's a little bit of Bowen Marsh being like just give me a sign that like I can trust you a little but the things mm -hmm. that you were saying about Sansa and John and who takes the Lord's Chambers we actually saw that in the last POV that we read which almost feels like a million years ago now but Theon <laughs> Theon was very insistent on taking Ned's Chambers because it's like you said it's a political move there's also of course an aspect of like Theon trying to like live out this like weird power fantasy right but it, it's absolutely <laughs> it, it absolutely has meaning yeah it does so since Stannis <sighs> left Castle Black has actually been really tense but quiet the only sounds that people really hear are from the yard of people practicing it's the storm of swords it's not it's just clanging it's, I don't know a drizzle of swords Iron Emmet is training Hop Robin right now and John thinks everyone should learn to keep their shields up or he'll ring them like oh. a bell. It's a little show cannon. I just put it there. John uh, is declining a tail, right? He's not letting anyone guard him. He would have enough men about him, he thinks. If it came to blood, two more would hardly matter. Mm. Yeah, so once more that whole tail thing. But yeah, I think it's kind of funny. Like, is the implication here like John has just really resigned himself to the fact that there could be a mutiny? And I mean, of course he can't write that off, but he's just really like, yeah, it's probably going to happen, especially because he thinks of Mormont in a few, in a few moments. It's kind of Stark Noir at its finest, right? Like Ned in a Game of Thrones. Again, it's better to be alone than take down others with you. And he knows that his name is on the list like his days are numbered and he knows almost he, all, he already knows he's stuck in this awful situation of to lead or to die or maybe both at the stable ed has gotten horses ready and the wagons are now also behind bow and marsh the word that they use is wayne w-a-y-n and i guess it's supposed to be spelled w-a-i-n i don't know but apparently that means wagon i had to google this so Think about the Wayne Woods with their wagon sigil. Oh. Rocky, there you go. Mama. Wooden Wayne. That too. I got you, baby. <laughs> His cheeks redden again when he sees John, because I guess he's like a little mad again, because Marsh thinks that this whole thing is folly, but John says, well, the rest of the wall needs men. Marsh is about to say, Mormont wouldn't have done this. But John's like, you don't know what Mormont would do. He's dead. 
and by other members of the Night's Watch. What does it mean, Eliana? <laughs> so Bowen Marsh leaves, and Ed says, I don't remember my Ed voice. <laughs> Pome- pomegranates, all those seeds. Man could choke to death. I'd sooner have a turnip. Never knew a turnip to do a man any harm. Well, boy, do you not know what Tom and Baratheon has invoked in King's Landing with his brutish laws. Man, <laughs> turnips are pretty good, but this pomegranate stuff, you know? I know. Every time he's like, buttered turnips are bad, I'm like, what? I know. I'm really, like, hurt, personally. And I'm just it like... It sounds delicious right now. Beets are good. Beets are good. Turnips are good. I like... Veggies yeah. are good. Eat your veggies, Don't just eat Tommen. iceberg lettuce, Tommen. <laughs> Maybe you'll grow up stronger if wow. you do that because you're inbred as fuck. Oh, I thought you were going to say because he's destined to die. Or stronger because he's a bastard. Um, Get it? Because stronger. Oh. Like how strong. He's a strong boy. John misses Eamon. Aw, duh. Of course he does. They're related. He finds it difficult to work with Marsh and Yarwick. Well, duh, because they're the worst. And he thinks the Watch lost too many of its best men in their battles. It's also true. These are all true thoughts, John. Good analysis. As they head south on the King's Road, with more than last time because of the skirmishes happening at Molestown, Ed points out the big drunkard, a twisted ash tree, now has a face. The Free Folk brought their gods with them, even though Stannis commanded them to burn them. Ed thinks Melisandre is not going to be happy, and John's like, well, don't let her find out. But Ed thinks she will see it in her fires anyway. I like that John cracks a quick joke here. and He's like, she just sees smoke and cinders in her fire. But I, I like this bit of cultural resilience from the free folk. You know, trying to put up a Rainforest Cafe franchise everywhere they go. But it actually <laughs> is interesting to me that they're just carving faces into trees, not just weirwoods. And is this like graffiti? Is this a tag? I don't know. A warning? I don't know. It's like they're carving their own place in, right? These are theirs. Uh, The nature is theirs. The northern land, you can't take it from them. You can't take the north from these people. You can try, but you won't. These people are the north. This is what the north is about. Yeah. They're they're making it home. Yeah. You want them to live here, goddammit? They will. Goddammit. it. God damn it. Oh, (laughs) goddammit. Go through all the... possibilities (laughs) all the yeah the conjugations uh john has guards posted at molestown already to halt men making off with women to stop the fighting and he thinks he could double the guard but it would cost him the wall right manning the walls is the first priority here the wagons go on they find another tree with a face carved into it john whistles at the raven in the tree watching who yells corn 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 and he flies down to meet his shoulder John scolds the raven and says, no corn for you, only for the free folk. And then he thinks, I wonder if we'll be eating ravens come winter. Also, this is clearly Mormont's raven. I'm pretty sure. Like, this is the same raven as before, because yeah. it says other words. Well, why is it well, here? What if it isn't? Why, what if it's just, like, blood raven operating another raven? True, it could be another raven. Apparently, a lot of them knew other words. But if it is Mormont's raven, I think it's funny, like, they don't keep that bird in a cage. It just lives its life and does whatever. And it's like, I'm going to meet you later down the road. 
John has to think it's Mormont's raven because wouldn't you think it's a little fucking weird if it's a different raven? Yeah. I mean, like, what is this? John has multiple pets, I mean, all right? He has ghost. Yeah. He has the raven. He's a giant wolf. Yeah. Probably will have so a So I guess a raven's, yeah. raven's following him and shouting corn isn't that weird, I guess, when you look at it in hindsight because it's a giant fucking wolf that's, like, magical and he can see its dreams and taste what it eats, but... And control it in his dreams if he really wants. Like, uh, I guess that's not that weird, right? Like, John gets there's mystical things about. But at the same time, like, if there was a raven that I did not know, like, I didn't realize it was the same raven. And all of a sudden it, like, said the same thing and came down on my shoulder like it was family. Yeah. Like, okay. Like, like, why are you here? You're pretty far. Like, a little familiar. Oh, oh, you'll like this. You're acting a little oh, familiar. John is a witch. Oh, Oh. Is the raven his, his witch demon? I think so. It's John's demon. Ghost is this demon. How dare but you? But this one, like, because it can go far away. Ghost can too. That's beyond true, the wall. Right. John's a witch. He severed himself. Yeah. So the face on the chestnut tree actually reminds John of something that Mance had once said. Kneelers are like sheep, but the free folk are like either shadow cats or stones. Sheep, oh, according to Mans, are easily herded by dogs, but shadow cats tear dogs apart. And to move the free folk who are like the stones, you gotta kick them, apparently. Because for some reason in this analogy, people don't pick up stones or they don't skip stones or throw stones or anything. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. A lot of people are throwing stones in those glass houses. Why are they? Why uh, do you only kick the stone? Whatever. Listen, the point is the free folk will not give their gods up easily. There's a third tree, and this one is an oak. So we've had ash, chestnut, and oak. And it makes me think of a lot of stuff. I'm about to like wax poetic today. Uh, I'm so sorry. I have like eight essays planned for you guys. It makes me think of the tr- the dragons, believe it or not. Ash, chestnut, and oak. Um, oak tree is strength. It symbolizes strength, and it's the darker of the three woods, so that reminds me of Beleriand a little bit. Ash. Ash is definitely light, and it generally means love and prosperity. Does make me think of Rhaegal a little bit in regards to Rhaegar. And and chestnut is super familial. It represents justice, and it does make me think of Viserys and Viserion. And it all also brings to mind some Norse mythos. As far as the free folk are concerned, there's the prose at a book that talks about three brothers, Vili, V, and Odin, who create man and woman. They take wood from two trees... Ask and Embla, which are Ash and Elm, respectively, and they carve humans from them. They then give them gifts. One person gives them life, one intelligence, and one gives shape, speech, hearing, and sight, and they're given a special home and celebrated in Midgard. I think tying it back to the Prosita is interesting because apparently there used to be some translations that misinterpreted Yggdrasil as uh, being an ash tree. So the idea that they would like carve a face and be like, maybe this is a weirwood, a tree of knowledge, and it's not. It's kind of funny. I was trying to see earlier when I was looking at these passages if there were like Dunkin Egg vibes or anything, because like there's a horse named Chestnut, and you have the oak and iron guard me well saying, but I looked into it and there isn't. I just wanted to share that that my hypothesis did not pan out, and I think it's important. To, to own up when things don't pan out because we gotta we gotta correct <laughs> ourselves in the pursuit of knowledge i love it i love it thank you for your honesty eliana 
you know, this this oak tree does have an angry face, just like Balerion, in my hmm. opinion, though. You don't know what Balerion's face looks like? He could have a really happy face. Uh, the dread. Well, maybe everyone just dreaded how happy he looked. Maybe he's kind of like toothless in How to Train Your Dragon. Hmm. <laughs> You're like, definitely not. Let me read the quote. <laughs> But the great oak looked especially angry, as if it were about to tear its roots from the earth and come roaring after them. Its wounds are as fresh as the wounds of the men who carved it's it. It's been so long! Dude, it feels so long. I can't believe I just pulled that out. It didn't, I you don't know, but right I did it. Was it okay? It, like John and Ghost. Yes, it was Ghost. good. It was good. Oh, yes, yes. Oh. Ugh. Okay, yeah. but so the trees. I assume that this is a Tolkien reference. You know, I asked my partner because he's a Tolkien nerd. I'm not a huge Tolkien nerd. Same. I've watched the movies. I've read some of the books, not any like big amount of them. I've read bits and pieces. I know the story ish, but uh, he said it's not like a direct reference. That George is usually really obvious, but I see what it's you like mean, a nod. Right? especially with the life. It's a nod in a way that the trees in general are a nod to Tolkien, yeah. right? Uh, George's trees, they aren't exactly Ents, but they have some Tolkien-esque fantasy kind of qualities. But there was a really cool theory I read that I don't know that I agree with all of it, but Chad Immaculate on Reddit wrote a theory called The Riddle of the Three Trees. And he claims that the trees that we see here represent Tyrion, Bran, and the Three-Eyed Crow. So tree one is Tyrion, and you get the line, The drunkard was an ash tree, twisted sideways by centuries of wind, and now it had a face, a solemn mouth, a broken branch for a nose, two eyes carved deep in the trunk, gazing north up the king's road, toward the castle and the wall. Tree two is Bran. The chestnut was leafless and skeletal, but its bare brown limbs were not empty. On a low branch overhanging the stream, a raven sat hunched. This is, of course, the raven that cries, corn, corn, corn. And then tree three, blood raven. North of Molestown, they came upon the third watcher, carved into the huge oak that marked the village perimeter, its deep eyes fixed upon the king's road. That is not a friendly face, Jon Snow reflected, the face that the first men and the children of the forest had carved into the weirwoods in eons past had stern or savage visages, more oft than not, but the great oak looked especially angry, as if it were about to tear its roots from the earth and come roaring after them, like you read. There's obviously definite symbolism in the trees in the north. You see Davos in White Harbor with the tree that, quite obviously in the godswood, resembles Lord Manderley, right? Its roots were as thick as as thick around as a man's waist, its trunk so wide, the face carved into it looked fat and angry. Very much so, Lord Wyman Manderley. I don't know, I like this theory a lot. It's fun. I think it matches up well with the heads on sticks in later John chapters and Melisandre's visions as well. She has the vision. She saw the eyeless faces again, staring out at her socket, at her from sockets weeping blood. And then there is, of course, the spears were eight feet long and made of ash. The one on the left had a slight crook. The other two were smooth and safe, straight. At the top of each was impaled a severed head. Their beards full of ice and the falling snow had given them white hoods. Where their eyes had been, only empty sockets remained, black and bloody holes that stared down in silent accusation. Who were they? Melisandre asked the crows. Blackjack Bulwer, 
Harry Hal, and Garth Greyfeather, Bowen Marsh said solemnly. So there's a lot of threes, lots of dragons, three heads, uh, eyeless heads, of course, in that vision. That's very interesting. I just think that three symbol, that three symbolism, I almost called it symbology, that's not a word. That three symbolism is really strong, though, here. Uh, it's interesting that it pops out among all these chapters. Yeah, I was ready to like dismiss it until that third tree came up, and I was like, oh, okay, this is like a thing. I don't yeah. know that I necessarily agree with the the theory you, you linked, but I think it is an interesting analysis, and apparently I was one of 12 people who upvoted this two years ago. So <laughs> clearly I thought good. it was good, or not like 12 people, but 12 upvotes, right? So clearly I thought something was worth it, and it was an interesting idea, right? And I would personally, knowing what we know now, probably switch Bran and Bloodraven, right? I would have Bloodraven yeah. as the chestnut and Bran as the oak. Um, I'm not sure yeah, if I would... But I see the connection. Yeah. Like, there's definitely some sort of connection there. If you want to go with, like, some of the things that Joe Magician has been toying around with, the drunkard could be Darren, the drunk. Mm-hmm. Right? But I, I, I don't know. It's all... Something's happening, and I don't know what. <laughs> it's definitely relative, I think, to kind of how you're embodying the story. And, like, you could even put Eamon in as one of them if you wanted, um... There's a lot there. There's a lot of interpretation of it. And it's like, it's one of those things we'll get to eventually, wink, wink, nudge, nudge, uh, with like Jamie's fever dream, right? That's one that's widely debated. Um, there's lots of different meanings you could go there. There's lots of different meanings for Daenerys with her three heads and her three treasons. Um, it's interesting. There's a lot to think about. And I think that's what's so great about this chapter is that it brings this idea of trees. They're guiding their way tree by tree to get to Molestown, to these starving wildlings, and each tree kind of symbolizes something for anyone reading the story. I think it's open to interpretation, but I think any and all of what we've been talking about is definitely acceptable. Tree by tree is nine. As they ride through the ruins of the actual town, John is reflecting on how vast it truly is in the tunnels. That was where the free folk had taken refuge, huddled together in the dark, like the moles from which the village took its name. This is just like the mutant underground in the Brotherhood, right? I don't know. They don't all have powers. The wagons hold the rations and circle in what was the town. Kids are playing, but they scatter and up come the free folk adults from below. A stench came with them, the stench of unwashed bodies and soiled clothing, of night soil and urine. John saw one of his men wrinkle his nose and say something to the man beside him. Some jape about the smell of freedom, he guessed. That's Too okay. many of his brothers were making japes about the stench of the savages in Molestown. First off, that's not okay. Second off, I don't know. This is just, like, uncomfortable, reading these men say these things, and this isn't, like, it's not like they're choosing to lay in their own filth, right? If they could take a shower or a bath or whatever, they would. This is uncomfortable because, and we should feel uncomfortable, right? This is war. This is what it is. It's violence and it's war. They've been driven from their homes, their religion, their lives, and George continues that whole analog about war, not just here, but in Slaver's Bay, right? This refugee violence outside of the gates of Marine. Uh, John says that this is pig ignorance, 
right? He of his brothers. He says they smell because it's one thousand people packed into tunnels that were built for one hundred people. This is the compromise these people made for their safety in fear of what's coming with the cold ones and what's happening with the Night's Watches, Stannis's army. They're fleeing violence every direction they look. They're just trying to survive. Yeah, absolutely. And I don't know if we're supposed to see it like a camp, or like a refugee camp or not, but it's everything that you said. I learned that pig, pig ignorance is an actual term, the term pig ignorant, meaning that John is calling the brothers of the Night's Watch who are saying these things extremely stupid or uneducated. And the, I mean, they're not in great shape, right? And it's the brothers just kicking all these people while they're already down, adding that insult to injury. Like, they didn't choose to be living in this way. And I'm just so struck. And I think what drives it home for me, there are a lot of passages in this, in these next few paragraphs that drive it home. But for me, it's just, I'm so struck and just saddened by the idea that John realizes there's a lot of children, but there are no babies. Because it dawns on him that all the babies died in trying to get across the wall or when Stannis' forces came, right? And and stockaded them. And I think this is just, it's just terrible to think that I, they would be insulted for something when they were just trying to survive. They're just people. Yeah. That's all they are. And... They're people with families and lives, dude. That's all they They're are. Trying to strip them of dignity by placing them in these places, yeah. and then and then the brothers in what they're saying are dehumanizing them. Yeah, there's like there's the line that uh, Game of Thrones put in for Mira. You know, like people will always need helping. That doesn't mean you shouldn't help them. The free folk line up for meager food. John sizes up the crowd. Uh, the fighters are crippled and old, but not all of them. Uh, but he thinks, broken men, he thought. The whites are not the only sort of living dead. Oh, that's an interesting line. Broken men. The whites are not the only sort of living dead. I think that's very uh, good observation. First off, John. Second off, these are broken men. This is, especially with A Feast for Crows as the book companion book to this um this is something we're very much learning, right? The the war, what it's done, what war does to people, what it makes of men and what it does to the economy, to a nation, to people ripped away from their homes, people surviving. Yeah, I, I think that this is something that George has been dry, trying to drive home. And I think, unfortunately, you know, the hit <coughs> HBO TV show lost that. Mm-hmm. He lost a lot of what was trying to be said about the whites and how they were meant to be a reflection of the state of broken men, of people using other people in in games of power, etc. And yeah, transitioning from one war into the other the way they did was not effective, and it should have been. Yeah, and and I'm not saying that all of the unsullied are broken men, right? But we can see that something has been taken from them. I'm not saying that they are living dead. But you're supposed to see the way that they're used as um, analogous uh, to the whites. And, and I don't know, I'm just thinking about this article I read recently, and I, I sent it to Chloe, and it was about mental health in the middle of war and conflict. And it, it was about children who had been trained and raised in violence, and, and they were children who had been like captured by ISIS and forced to fight one another, 
right until the last one was standing and how that becomes very commonplace for them and i'm not saying that that's necessarily the case for the insullied but these were things that needed to be addressed and treated and the unfortunate fact is it doesn't always and then you have the men of the night's watch here being like making fun of them for being the way they are like they're any better yeah and and they're not a lot of these night's watch men some of them are completely haven't haven't faced any conflict and like that's great that they haven't you know if only everyone could Mm -hmm. be so lucky but yeah we're gonna see that a little in the next chapter because this is a reread podcast and i don't feel bad referencing it (laughs) but like you know how the rangers go out with alice or thorn and like diwick and them they're like (laughs) maybe we'll teach you like how to fucking like ride a horse again or some shit (laughs) right because he hasn't been out there for a while yeah it's not nice. Well, there are half a dozen thuns, and Harmadogshead's brother is surviving, Halleck, and two hornfoot men. Uh, and John thinks, there are wolves among these sheep, still. I thought that was a good line to think, yeah. especially for him with his wolf connection. Mm. He and he thinks of what, oh, go And ahead. that he calls them wolves when they're, you know, the brother of Dogshead. Mm-hmm. He has respect for them. Yeah. He's he's gained this respect for that culture and some of these people. Yeah, even someone as awful as the Trunchbull. Yeah, he might not like them, but he respects them. Yes, he, like these two specifically, especially. Or this. He one. thinks of what? Oh, yeah. Yes. Yes. Sorry, I like said two, and I was like, no, there's one. <laughs> oh, I get you. I get you. I get you. I get you. He thinks of what Val said the last time he visited her in her tower. The free folk are just like them. They're villains and heroes and good and bad too. She was not wrong. The trick was telling one from the other, parting the sheep from the goats. I thought this was a very interesting line, Mm -hmm. especially with what's happening with Daenerys. With sheep and goats? Oh, you mean the sheep? With telling the sheep from the goats. Or from the children. Yeah. The kids, yeah, maybe. literally the kids, yeah, and and the the bones and ugh, yep, <sighs> yep. So they pass out barley, beans, turnips. Hey, we just talked about them. Mm-hmm. Carrots, also, about also. Carrots. salt beef, dried we cod, wheat and flour, cod. pickled eggs. I like dried cod; that sounds good. Uh, John overhears a woman asking for two apples, one for her and one for her sick son. The Night's Watch guy giving him out is hassling her, saying, I need to see the second face in order to give you two. Sorry, I gotta just throw this out there. This might be very ignorant of me to ask. Do... Uh, I don't know how agricultural, right, the free folk are. What are... And do they have, like, what are they gonna do with this flower? I was curious about that, too. Um, I, I I guess maybe they were going to fry the cod or the salt beef up or something, maybe, the- or, like, to put some moisture back in. Um, I ass- but how? On a fire? A spitfire? I don't know. Yeah, I assume that they're going to use it to, barley? like, make- How would they eat barley? Bread? Or something? And I mean, like, yes, they, they could. They could theoretically do that. They could make a fire, right? Um, but I'm also Pickled just like, eggs, turnip, carrots, salt beef, beans. Yeah. These sound fine. Uh, dried cod. The flour, maybe to batter it if they get it like rehydrated. Yeah, if someone knows like more, like and and obviously there are other things like you you can put the flour out, you know, naturally for 
get some natural Mm -hmm. yeast in it make a bread that's possible right yeah but i just like don't really know what they were going to do with yeah and maybe they eat bread and i'm just like and i myself am pig pig ignorant right it's just for me like i think (laughs) of rations in modern day being like rice i'm like yeah of course everyone knows what to do i think that's pretty much what it is i think barley they boil with some water that turns into a grain Uh, i think flour they somehow make a bread somehow yeah i don't know (laughs) anyway sorry i just that was something that i really was very stood out to me no i agree i agree we think about food a lot chloe and i all the time all the time actually probably Uh, so back to the night's watch giving this woman one apple and it's shriveled and ugly and she's like i want another one for my kid and the guy hal looks to john john shook his head they would be out of apples soon enough if they started giving two to everyone who wanted to the latecomers would get none john had to make the choice between if this kid was real or not Mm -hmm. and if it mattered or not enough that's it's a bummer. It's not a great position to be in, but at the same time, like... I get it. I get it. I don't think it's it's great or right in an ideal world. People wouldn't have to yeah. do that, but... It, it we wouldn't have, have this to... problem in an ideal world, so... Yeah. It, it sucks to have to prove that your kid exists, right? And that they are truly sick. It's something that, um, you know, I relate to, but I, I, I don't know. People in line start to push and get riled up and a fight breaks out. And I feel so bad for this woman, right? Her apple falls and like all of her rations fall into the ground because of this. And I'm like, God damn it. Watchmen start to draw steel and bows and John commands Rory to blow his horn. And everyone stops because it goes bow, 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 bow. And the raven then squawks, snow, so, so, snow. Good intro, right? <laughs> John explains the watch is bringing provisions as best it can while planning for winter. The free folk accuse the Night's Watch of eating way better than them, and John thinks, for now. Which, personally, I find real interesting, right? Uh, Considering that you remember the beginning of this chapter in which John has wasted a bowl of stew that he did not eat and left it out overnight. It's not that it wasn't, he was, like, so busy, right? And then, like, he didn't think to eat it in the morning. He's like, I guess this is gross. Because we don't get a scene of him eating his cold stew. And I'm like, wow, okay, John, you're just wasting food yeah. out here. John goes on giving this big, this big speech. He says he understands what they're up against. The cold ones, the White Walkers, the hunger. Uh, the wall is what stands between them and the White Walkers and the Night's Watch who guards it. He says that if these people would have more food, they would have to fight to help hold the wall. Sigorn, the new Magnar of Then, says he'd rather kill John. John empathizes. He thinks of the Lannisters. He's like, I would rather kill them, so I get you. And he explains, the wall is all they have, especially with Winterfell and ruins. An old man with a turnip cradled against his chest said, You kill us, you starve us, now you want to make us slaves. A chunky red-faced man shouted assent. I'd sooner go naked than wear one of them black rags on my back. John then turns to Hal and asks him to repeat what he said. Hal says, you got to choose an apple or an onion. There's a metaphor here somewhere. And I think I finally figured it out and we'll come back to it later on regarding apples or onions. But first I wasn't really sure what. I am and I'm not because like apples don't have a fixed meaning. 
or symbol in the story, unlike Peaches, which it's very clear that Peaches kind of stand in for this idea of summer, of naivete, right? Whereas, like, apples, I think, are a very symbolically laden fruit within our culture in general, right? Like, it's it's associated with the fall and the Garden of Eden, so sometimes it's associated with knowledge, or sometimes with sinfulness, depending. Sometimes it's associated with autumn, just because, you know, that's when they show up, right? And sometimes it's associated with electronics, but that's probably heralding to the idea of the rebellion and sinfulness. Anyways, um... Apples don't have a fixed meaning necessarily in this story, but the story does bring up onions quite often, and this idea of duty or doing the right thing, or that idea of choice together with it. Like, we, we have a scene with Mel discussing, like, a rotten onion's all rotten, and I'm like, no, Melisandre, because sometimes, you know, unlike John wasting food, we cut off the bad part of the onion and we still use the good part. Don't judge me, Melisandre. And there's also a lot of the symbolism of what onions mean in terms of, like, duty, etc. that we get through Davos' story. Um, yeah, absolutely. Like, regarding the rebellion, I mean, this is what saved Stannis in the rebellion. Yeah. Right? His whole faction. And, yeah, peaches and pomegranates, those have been choices. Why not apples? But something that sticks out to me in this is mm-hmm. that the idea that this woman says that her child is sick and apple will help them. And in the last chapter, didn't we just talk about how people were getting loose teeth and meat would be what would save that, mm-hmm. but they're running out of meat. Uh, it, it just feels like that whole apples will heal you, onions will at least sustain you. Yeah. Pick. Yeah. And like, yeah. And I think we'll come back to that towards the end of this chapter. But I, yeah, I just wanted to touch on, I don't know, apples don't have a fixed meaning. The closest we get to one is like house fossil with the red and the green ones, plus the green, green fossways. They're actually one of my favorite houses. Yes, absolutely. And uh, another thing, this is about the choice. Yeah. The choosing. It's always been hard. It has always been hard. And speaking of that, John gives a speech about that choosing and how it's always been hard. I'm about to go hard. Are you ready? Yeah, I didn't even put the whole thing in and I thought about it briefly and then I was like, I can't do that to her. Thank you. You have to pick, Jon Snow repeated. All of you. No one is asking you to take our vows. And I do not care what gods you worship. My own gods are the old gods, the gods in the north. But you can keep the red god, or the seven, or any other god who hears your prayers. It's spears we need, bows, eyes along the wall. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Was it good for you? I worked hard for you. So there are the stewards and the builders. The rangers? Yeah, and the rangers. He's like, not all of you have to be rangers. There are other, like, things that we need to help keep up the wall. He's like, we'll also take any women who are able to do this, too, because he's like, the spearwives are completely capable fighters. And then a girl's mm-hmm. like, okay, but what about the girls? And she reminds him of Arya. And this made me think for, like, two seconds. We don't have to dig too deep into it. Like, how much worse would John's life choices be if he didn't have Arya in his life to be, like, show him, hey, life's a little That's different. That's the morality. Right? And John is yeah. like, okay, yeah, you're right. Um, because call. she's like, why Why are you going to take boys as young as 12, but not girls? And he's like, all right. The only reason we took boys as young as 12 in Westeros is because the system has a lot of them squiring at that age. But free folk girls are different. They're learning shit all the same time at the same amount as the boys. Yeah. Right? So he's like, word, fine. Everyone over 12, 
can join, but only if you know how to take an order, because I'm not going to ask you to give up your culture or pledge your life, but I do ask that you, like, follow orders and do your job, and anyone who disobeys gets beheaded. Oh, that's a Stannis idea right there. Settle down, John. Uh, except burnt for Stannis. He says, Disobey an order, and I'll have your head off. Ask my brothers if I won't. They've seen me do it. Don't remind the them, choice- John! Right? Uh, and sad enough, like, I think this is, like, a, not an empty threat, but it's like he's saying it for the point of saying it, you know? Like, it's show. Yeah. It's definitely show, not tell. He's, like, saying, like, I'll kill you, so please behave so I don't have to, haha. Yeah. I mean, it's true, but also, like, Jano Slint was... Different. Pretty fucking... Yeah, different and annoying. It was a special... It was a special case, personally. Yeah. The choice is yours. Jon Snow told them. Those who want to help us hold the wall, return to Castle Block with me, and I'll see you armed and fed. The rest of you, get your turnips and your onions and crawl back inside your holes. So that girl, who reminded him of Arya, is the first to volunteer, and she says that her mother was a spearwife, and Jon is like, I don't actually know if she's 12, but I can't, like, say no to the first recruit. It's gonna look really bad from a PR standpoint. And then other other free folks are coming forward slowly until there's Halleck who says, "All right, and again, this is Harmon Dogshead's brother. He's like, I never liked you, John, but I also didn't like Mance, and I fought for him. So why the fuck not?" And Halleck is a respected man amongst the free folks, so that after him, a lot more of them come forward. But there are no fans. So this is a pretty big move. Yeah, this is a huge move considering Halleck is now the heir to the Trunchbull fortune, right? Mm-hmm. It is, it is. Who's gonna come into the psyche? The Chokey? Yeah. <laughs> Chloe's got this like cool light now and she's just playing with it, everyone. But after they hand out the last withered apple, they end up with about six not about they end up with sixty three recruits. And Bowen's like, alright, now what's the plan? And John's like, okay, we're gonna trade them. Then we're gonna send them where we need them to man the ball. The Lord's Dewey glanced back. Women, too? Our brothers are not accustomed to having women amongst them, my lord. Their vows. There will be fights, rapes. These women have knives and know how to use them. And the first time one of these spearwives slits the throat of one of our brothers, what then? We will have lost a man, said John. But we have just gained sixty-three. You're good at counting, my lord. Correct me if I'm wrong, but my reckoning leaves us sixty-two ahead. Marsh was unconvinced. You've added sixty-three more mouths, my lord. But how many are fighters? And whose side will they fight on? If it's the others at the gates, more like they'll stand with us, I grant you. But if it's Tormund Giantsbane or the Weeping Man, come calling with ten thousand howling killers, what then? Then we'll know, so let us hope it never comes to that. Boom. I like how he calls him the Weeping Man. It's the Weeper. Yeah, right? That guy's fucking- What is that? I mean- That rename. The Weeper's kind of a weird-ass dude. I understand not wanting to learn his name because you don't want to think about him, but, like, that guy, he's a creepy dude who, like, slits eyeballs and- Ugh. 10,000 howling killers. What does that remind you of? 10,000, wait, I don't know. 10,000 Dothraki Howlers? Not yes. necessarily 10,000 of them, but like Dothraki Howlers, the language is similar. Yeah, that actually is. That actually really is. Okay. 10,000 Howling Killers. Yeah. 
that's some uh that's some some shit i mean i i've been thinking a lot about like how is everyone gonna react mm. to the dothraki to the unsullied not well it's gonna be interesting yeah it's not gonna yeah. be good not good bob <laughs> uh i will come back to like i was just like wow about Bo and marcia's first thought about whether or not the free folk women will be raped is about the sanctity of the knight's watch's vows not about the women's safety and then his first thought when a woman fights back is like okay and when one of the men dies and not about like she's was attempting to be wear a raped? spaghetti strap top and he's shoulders in school that's like bow and marsh right now like what if they can't control their boners what if their dick automatically enters them it's like what then a lot of them have already been breaking their vows all right first of all and second like my god he's his concern is more around the vows and not about women being Uh, raped and like politics are like this right like it doesn't matter about the actual women and their bodies like they don't actually care it's all about what comes off in the back and forth interchange and what they get out of it but i do respect that this is a great leadership kind of speech from john right and a great moment like we know this is sitting tone deaf for the watch they're probably pissed at him but to us we're like yeah john like you you be honorable good for you yeah i mean he's doing what he thinks needs to be done right he's like well Mm -hmm. no one else is sending us men and and the woman can fight like anyone else yeah he's like we need everything we can get and it it really shows in that he's like you know what fuck it we're gonna take little girls too we're gonna take children whatever anyone yeah it's risky it's definitely risky i mean kids are not great at taking orders i'm gonna be real as a person who was once upon a time a child i went to a birthday party today for (laughs) a one-year-old so i'm right there with you sister um hallelujah sister (laughs) John, in this chapter, this is interesting, it reminds me of the Blackwater, mm. in that it reminds me of Sansa and Cersei. John is taking what Stannis did and learning what the mistakes were from it and saying, when I'm king, I'll earn their respect. Much like Sansa said, when I'm queen, I'll make them love me. Mm-hmm. Um, that's what it feels like. These people want something to believe in, right? They don't want to live in the ground in night soil and piss their whole lives. Um, they want to live lives and some of them want to eat better, right? Some of them want to survive the winter and they'll take it. They don't have to burn their culture down. John doesn't care who they worship. Okay. Yeah. They, like you said, they don't want to live in holes and urine the whole time. Like they want what everyone else kind of wants for themselves, right? They want a life of, with some dignity and to be able to just like, live have a good life for themselves and their families that's why a lot of them even tried to go across the wall and i i think that like what john is giving them it's not the greatest of choices right but it is more of a real choice than what stannis offered there's there's a lot of qualms that i still have with what's going on here like but john at least is not asking them to give up a piece of themselves not that they even would as we see by the three trees on the way here and i think that's also along with the other symbolism meant to show us like all right do you want action or do you want lip service because what stannis got was lip service not action right right and john lays out what's at stake here like yeah the wall is pretty risky you're losing a little bit of your autonomy because you got to follow orders but you do get more food 
you get to be a part of what's standing between this side of the wall and the other one. Or you can choose to be safe. He's like, he he makes it sound like cowardly, but like they can choose to be in their halls. They will be fed, not a lot, but they, they have a lot, quite a bit of provisions as we see, right? They'll be provided for yeah. it. They'll have their freedom, uh, not as much as they had on the other side of the wall, um, but it's here. They're not going to have like a lot of the other things that they should have, like in terms of like baths, etc. They're still in these hidey holes. And yeah. I don't love the idea that fighters get more food. And I, do, I think that's just like a thing that he said because he basically meant the wall in general. But mm-hmm. to an extent, it is like a bit of a logic that makes sense because they need to like stay strong if they're going to protect it. And the free folk definitely understand this logic. I think John's kind of offering a job, I guess. But because not everything that he's offering are fighting positions, he's offering, again, stewardship, builder positions. And I guess that's what the apple and the onion thing is about, because they're not great apples. It's hammered home often that they're withered apples, right? And the onions, while they last longer, I mean, onions aren't great raw. So neither of these are good choices, same as what John is presenting to them. And it's way more of a choice, right, than the life or death circumstances that Stannis basically presented them. That was like, give up everything about yourself. John is just like, I don't know, you can come like work for us, I guess, and have some food and better. Yeah, like my brand of capitalism is slightly less deadly. It is. You won't hate yourself as much. Yeah, pretty much. He's like, keep your culture, etc. Yeah. Yeah, he's definitely doing it better than Stannis. That's what we've learned here. Um, He learned from those mistakes. He saw what Stannis did wrong. And I mean, that's why going forward, yes, uh, we haven't seen this yet. But you can imagine that once John comes back, the free folk would follow him, right? They wouldn't respect anyone else, but they would respect Jon Snow because he respected them. And obviously it's war. Uh, hey, fighters get free college in America after a while, but we're colonizing. We're not fighting a supernatural force. That's like Stan is saying, you're going to have all these good things if you come and murder a bunch of people so that my claim is right. Um, John is saying, survive and you will live. Yeah, and, and Stannis's war, again, has nothing to do with what the free folk are necessarily concerned about. And mm-hmm. And I've seen like arguments of like, it's better for them in the log run or whatever. It's their war too. But like the free folk know the war that they're fighting. And that's the mm-hmm. one that John lays out explicitly to them. It's the others. It's the yeah. whites. And the free folk are the ones who out of anyone else in Westeros are the ones who have been fighting that war the longest. They're the ones who have been most affected and most hurt by it. And so he's like, I'm not telling you you have to fight, right? In the way that Stannis was like, all right, you come through, gotta fight for me. And Stannis He can't do much, but he can do this. Yeah. John's like, well, it's not the greatest of choices, and you get a little more. You can choose to waste your fucking soup if you want, which, goddammit, John. Yeah. This is not the time to be wasting your soup. <laughs> People are literally starving right here. Could have brought your goddamn they soup are. here. Well,. I guess that's John 5. That is John 5. We're getting through a dance with dragons. We are, uh, <laughs> we're getting through a dance we're getting with through. dragons. It's just like he dies at the end. He does. Chloe loves this series. Not this one. The other one. But also this John one. John dies at the end. Mm-hmm. It's not the end end. <laughs> Theoretically, no, we're going to get well, two more books. 
I'm loving the theoretically. Well, you guys, as always, thank you so much for listening to us. We'll be back next week with a brand new Jon Snow episode wow. in A Song of Ice and Fire. Wow. Wow. Really, I say wow a lot. Yeah, you do. Uh, it'll be John 6 and maybe John 7. This might be our last chance in John to combine a chapter, so we'll do a throwback and see if maybe we can do a twofer. Get you guys some good stuff going. Is that in You'll see. We'll see. a throwback now? I'm not sure what I see in my night fires. You know what I mean? That's true. Anyway... Thank you very much, everyone. As we said earlier at the top of this episode, you can find us on Twitter at Girls Gone Canon, one N in Canon, actually technically two N C A N O N, or you can shoot us an email at girlsgonecanon at gmail.com. As always, subscribe to us on your favorite podcast hosts. You could probably find us there. We are on Podbean, on Spotify, on Google Play, on Apple Podcasts, on Stitcher, on Acast, or even on Overcast. And, of course, we do have a Patreon. Patrons $5 and up get special episodes monthly. This month, though, we did an episode about His Dark Materials, where Chloe and I discussed the Golden Compass movie in in preparation for the His Dark Materials television show that is will have just premiered by the time that this episode comes out. Yeah, it was a, a wine-infused blast, you could say. <laughs> And you guys, thank you again for listening. We're glad to be back with John. It was refreshing. We did miss it. As always, I have been one of your hosts, Chloe. And I've been another one of your hosts, Eliana. Lyra. Oh my gosh. Wait, that's the wrong fucking podcast. Okay, John. His John walls walks beside him. An army stands behind him. Ghost walks beside him. John Snow. John Snow. John Snow.